I am the director of strategy at The Social Element. We're an agency that looks after loads of really great brands. So we help them get close to consumers. We basically, everything we do is community and people centric. So uh, rather than saying, here's how you make some adverts that reach a bunch of people and you know they, they might remember them, we work on the opposite ends. We help people build community and we, we start with what people want and what's missing no experiences and how a brand can help like bring that to life essentially um it's so cool i've been here for two years i lead strategy in europe or outside of america i lead strategy um like prior to that i, I spent two years at uh, captain morgan so i was a global head of digital and social there um wow. and i i've just come from a long background both agency and client side I think I'm, I'm 17 years in social media now, so I actually yeah. started in IRC chat rooms before MySpace became a thing. Yeah, we, we saw that on your post that you were terrible. that you were kicking people out of chat rooms for swearing. Yeah, totally. It was, um, it's the, the weirdest thing. I actually remember. So one of the first agencies I worked for, um, they didn't they didn't go in for MySpace. They're like, we think it's a fad, so we're, we're not going to pursue work for clients in MySpace. And they they went under, you know. <laughs> yeah. Good plan. Well. No, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, it, but no, you've really got a really complex. like diverse list of things on your on your LinkedIn that you do, and it was it you know really refreshing to see, um, like new neuroeconomics at Harvard. Is that? Yeah. I um. So let's start. Oh, I think it was twenty fourteen. So it's been a while. I um, uh, how do I explain how I ended up there? So I, I didn't go to university when I was younger. I uh, I right. finished school. Uh, I was a, a, in a band. The band got signed when we were eighteen, twenty. What do you I play? Think. Yeah. Uh, oh, bass, keys, like different bits. But we um, so that was alright. I spent like the first. I think I was a musician until I was about twenty-six. Went for a couple of recording contracts. Um, right, so at this point, did you have any fun. idea you were getting into social advertising, or was it just like music is the thing? Yeah, it was, it was music was the thing. I, um, I've always, so I've been on social media, I've been on the internet since about 1995, 96, so yeah. like, since I was like, since I was a baby essentially, and um, like I, I've always got the internet, and the thing that, more about the internet now is I've always got people using it to talk to each other. Yeah. So. Um, when I was in a band, when I was in high school, so I think we were about 18, maybe, I got a Japanese fashion mag to, like, write about my band by sending a bunch of stuff to them. Oh, that's and cool. And that, 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 that's the kind of approach I've taken to social, like, from there. So yeah. When we, uh, we supported, uh, I was in a metal band, and we or a hardcore band, and we supported Charlotte Church because she right. announced she was playing a gig in Brighton, and, like, I hit her up on Twitter, and I went, uh, if we can support you, I will get a bunch of our fans to like adopt cats because she'd done something about cats. <laughs> and, like, yeah, that's um, a great within, idea. Yeah. Yeah, within about an hour of doing that tweet, we had uh, I think two hundred people had pledged to adopt cats, and people were um, like, they they got a GoFundMe started to raise money for a cat charity, and um, so we we supported her. She was like so nice. She was really funny as well. But like the. Um, the key thing from that is we like vice and people writing about us and they're going like my there's an article up somewhere called like my mates hardcore band supporting charlotte church and it's just like um it's a left like that's the way i tend to approach things so, like lots of people um i don't know we i come from a, a slightly less professional era of social media right so like i came like i came about in the days where like you can grab attention by by doing stuff and now people tend to a lot of plans I see tend to be like you know here's we're going to build a series of adverts that are going to cost a hundred thousand pounds we're going to target millions of people and then the, the question to have at the end of it is like oh if we're, we're doing this on social media how do we how do we make this go viral how do we get people to care about it that's like that no one cares so it's a six second video that runs before YouTube videos like people don't want to see it but to be fair, it must have worked really well then, because like it was so like organic of like way of doing it, especially at the time. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, and we've um, so I'm uh, Mash Gang, the brewer. I started two years ago. One of the guys in that is another guy from like those those days of band stuff, and um, like lots of the stuff we do, like it's. Um, so there, there's a brand called the Hundreds, and like yeah. uh, Bobby Hundred skate brand, yeah, isn't it? So like we, no, 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 no. yeah, we, we, we take so much okay. from like brands like the Hundreds and people like Roy Choi, like the Korean, like chef from America, and people wouldn't normally expect me to say people like that are influencers, but they are because they've like they they started like a fashion brand, like a skate brand in their front room. And they just did it all by community. Like yeah. everything was like, you know, they they understand what people care about, and they just went in hard on that. And um, like Bobby wrote a book called "This Is More on the T-shirt," and like he spells out in there, he's like, you know, there are times we did things really wrong. Like there are times that we went, you know, uh, we can do uh, like a collaboration, like a big supermarket in America or something, and they do it, and then like the supermarket comes back and goes. Hello, Anything little man. Right? What's your name? This is Walker. Walker, are you going to say hi? Say hello. Hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he spells out in there. There are times where, um, like, they've done it wrong. Like, they did big partnerships with big, um, like, supermarkets. The supermarket, like, it didn't really sell. Like, no one really got it. And, like, his own fans are like, you know, we, we weren't really overjoyed the idea and go to Walmart and get, like, a hundred shirt for like eighteen dollars when we just spent fifty dollars on one. So he's yeah. like, "All right, we get it." And we've we've kind of approached brewing like that. We've um, we've had opportunities to like go into supermarkets and stuff, and uh, we've not really taken them yet because it, it, you know the firstly the volume of work is just massive and we're we're small. But aside yeah. from that, it's like. Um, so, like so was your reason for starting out because you always liked craft beer, or um, did you think there was a gap in the market there? What was, what was the beginnings of uh, Mash Gang? Uh, beginnings of Mash Gang, where we, uh, like, when lockdown happened, the, me and a bunch of mates had nothing to do, like no one did. So we started sending each other like boxes of beer and stuff. Yeah. Just like as nice gifts, and then everyone was like. Problem is, like all of these nice beers are like seven percent, and like I, if you've got to work, I've got to look after my kid. It's basically all of us and our parents, so it's like I can't just sit around and smash a couple of seven percent beers and then look after a baby. So, yeah. um, and one of the guys in the group was um, like Jordan. He's uh, he's straight edge. He doesn't drink, so um, we sent him a no alcohol box, and he sent all of us like non out beers, and we were just like this. This is all right. And it's like, you know, there was uh, one company do like isotonic beer. So it's like you can go for a run, then come home, crack a cold beer out the fridge. And it's like, you know, like 20 calories or something. But like it rehydrates you and it brings all the electrolytes and vitamins back. Yeah, that's like, weird to think. I was like, functional beer. <laughs> and then, uh, but we, um, we were just like, how, how hard is it to make non-alcoholic beer? Because that's, it just seems completely backwards. It's like, you know, um, and we had a go. Um, like the first bottles we made, we hand labeled ourselves, and we like um, we sold. They, they flew out, and everything we've done since then is just scaled. And we sometimes it's a bit odd that we um, we look at our customers, and it's like eighty percent of them, like I think it's more than eighty percent, we know don't drink. Yeah. Like oh, that's sorry, no do drink. So they drank beers as well, like elk beers, but they they just like our stuff because it's fun and it's like weird flavors and it's it's just nice. Yeah. And like we've, our approach is we just make fun things which are good and we enjoy. So we, we've totally taken like the same approach as the hundreds or like Roy Choi or like when people make hardcore bands and they go like, I'm just making a band basically for me. A lot of people like it. That's great. And like we're, we're, we're taking lessons. So we've spoken to people from um, like ugly drinks and similar who've like, you know, kind of like uh, Luca from Northern Monk. He used to be the head of uh, Camden Town Brewery, and he did stuff. He worked at Budweiser before that. Um, he's been a really great, like, advisor. Yeah. Uh, the guys at Fierce um, have been really good as well. And it's, I, I like UK brewing because, like, like a lot of the attitude is it is is the same as you get from like music or you get from like um, yeah. like streetwear, like a good culture kind of like thing. 
yeah, it's 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 this great culture, and like yeah. it's. I think it's quite like one thing we're really keen on is make it accessible. So because of that, we know like loads of people that drink mash gang are women, and women don't like drink like lots of craft beer as much as our stuff. Like they drink us, and the reason they do is like it's gonna sound a bit weird, but like lots of our labels have got like. I don't know, skateboarding skeletons and like melting yeah, faces and stuff. Yeah. And but yeah, this is it. So it's like, it's, it's tattoo art by good tattooists that we know. Like one of the guys used to run a, a tattoo studio and he was a consultant and tattoo artist of the year and similar. And like we've, like you might say that doesn't align to like, you know, what a 45 year old woman from Surrey wants, but it aligns more to what she wants than like, you know, kind of can zero or like bex blue does yeah yeah like for sure to compared to other it's fun ones. i want that's got a bit yeah, well. we, yeah we've we're doing good i think we're we're slightly more chaotic than other craft breweries if you if you look at our instagram or our twitter feed mm. and then compare it against other people in our same space like we I used to work at Diageo. We talk to people from Diageo and big beer companies, and the first things they always tell us is like, "We love your brand persona. Like, we we love the things you guys do, and like what you talk about." They're like, "Where's the strategy come behind that?" And we're like, "Too, we're not too proud to tell them there is no strategy. We just talk." <laughs> yeah. Like we we post things we like. Like everyone's got access to all the channels. Like we're just very yeah. open. And it's it's authentic then. Yeah, that it way. all flows well. Yeah, and this is it. I think that that's something like by the work the social element we've always tried to bring through. It's like, you know, you have to be authentic. A lot of things we we try to do is we try to get um companies to put together like podcasts or like, you know, feature their own staff more. So like LinkedIn is a real great one for this. It's like yeah. people don't want posts from brands going, you know, here's all the stuff we're doing around inclusion, here's all the stuff we're doing about sustainability. Like everyone's doing it. Just be like, right we're going to start sharing posts from our own members of staff talking about what they're doing around yeah. it. It's like... Way more personal. And yeah, yeah it just, it's, it's that... Um, it, it stops being performative. Do you know what that like reminds me of? I was... Uh, there's a, a Budweiser advert that keeps coming up on, on YouTube and it's like three seconds long and it's just a windmill yeah. and it just says, we we're use renew renewable yeah. energy. And I just hate it because there's no thought behind it. It's they've just put a windmill on it so you know that kind of thing showing yeah. real stories because it. it doesn't seem like it you're doesn't, um, like a pipe then does it yeah this is it it just doesn't I don't know I don't know who half that stuff resonates with I think they do surveys and people go you ask people it's like do you think sustainability is important do you think yeah. like inclusivity is important and everyone goes yes because it is Yeah. and then brands go oh that should be our messaging and yeah. it's like that's that's not the show, like, but that's a standard. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we just expect it of you, right? It's like it's not like a thing you should be shouting about. It's yeah. just like we you don't expect people to have adverts going like we hire women. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, like, you? we don't want anyone over in these cars. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's yeah. Really yeah. yeah. <laughs> just like uh, I think it, it sells like I don't know. It, it's kind of like the. The level of mistrust people have for brands now is like, do people just assume that brands just want to destroy the planet? They don't care. Yeah. So, like, they have to tell us that they're like, no, 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 we do. We do care. And it's like, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's a tricky one, that whole environment thing, because it's so hard to measure, isn't it? And yeah. And you're actually like, so much. Yeah. 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 I support, um, I support Reading, and like, our new shirt came out yesterday with University of Reading, worked with them. They've got like climate change stripes on the shoulders of the kit yeah and loads oh, right. of the fans yeah the loads of the fans just really reacted to it like really negatively oh and i, I it was really odd because it was like they're, they're they are they're trying to say something they're trying to start a conversation and then people are like i like i i called them out on their own post about it because i was like you, you've got a car leasing company on your front of your shirt yeah it's a bit of a weird like, yeah. it's I, I kind of appreciate where they're coming from, but it, it just feels odd that when people go like, hey, everyone should have this conversation, that's like, have, have you had that conversation yet? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, before you, what, take a look at the, the company in the mirror. Yeah, this is it. And uh, I don't know. I think um, 
I think people often get lost between understanding what what consumers want and what what consumers tell them. Yeah. So if you ask people a question, they're going to answer it. It's like we um, when I was at uh, I was at Symantec, Blake Norton, who are the information security people do Norton security and stuff. And we had a survey we ran with I think it was YouGov or someone, but like you ask people like you know are you are you concerned about people stealing your passwords and your credit card details from your phone via unsecure Wi-Fi or like unsecure internet? And people go like, well, yeah, yeah, I am now. <laughs> and then the results come back, and people are like, oh, you know, eighty something percent of people care about it. And it's just like, like if you put that question in a list amongst like you know, are you concerned that you might leave your house and not lock the door? Are you concerned yeah. that like you know your car might catch fire in your driveway if there's a fuel line fault and stuff? People will be like, yeah. Uh, not really. It's like, well, yeah, it's like tailored yeah. questions, yeah, and, yeah. and they don't always work because it's almost like funneling the answer. Yeah. Do, yeah, do you but... do you use like questionnaires a lot, or do you find that it it doesn't always work too well? What's your what's your as a strategist? What's your way of of narrowing it down? Uh, so, finding what people want. So, as a strategist, lots of people will tell you surveys are great. Uh, as a behavioural economist, I prefer looking at what people do and then figuring it out from there. Almost so like reverse engineering. People, yeah, exactly. So lots of people don't know why they do stuff. There's a really awesome study by, I think it's Martin Lindstrom, who's one of the fathers of behavioral economics, who's a Swedish chap. And um, in a, uh, a supermarket, they decided to check what would happen if they changed different music. So if people went in and there was like umpire music playing in the background, people bought German wine. If they went in, it was like Italian, like, you know, Godfather style, that uh, music, people bought Italian wine, and, you know, they could lure people into buying French wine. If you ask people while they were leaving the supermarket, while they were holding that bottle of wine, what made them buy that wine, almost nobody mentioned the music. Right. And that's, um, you know, people, like, uh, the thing is, uh, the human brain, so like, the best way of describing it is like a, um, a monkey driving an elephant like the vast majority of the decisions we make so um uh, they're intuitive so i think it's about 80 to 90 percent of stuff's intuitive for like your brain just does it automatically yeah and then like 10 percent or so is about deliberative which is actually really heavy it's stuff you have to ask yourself questions to figure it out yeah uh, when your brain can't be bothered doing that because it's tired or it doesn't have time like you just basically start to invent the most likely answer yeah so, um i'm I, I, I like surveys. I like that if it's a um, if it's something concrete, like if you're asking someone and they're, they're likely to tell the truth, like you know, um, how, many, this how many credit cards do you have? How many cars do you own? And stuff like that. Like yeah. that's that's fine. If you start to ask people more abstract stuff, or like yeah, um, there was people always ask why the polling for elections is a bit weird. So like, what happens is they're asking people as they're leaving. A polling station who they voted for and like last election or whatever they were like oh you know the, the data said that like not so many people are going to vote Tories voted Tory we're not sure what happened there and it's like you're, you're asking people as they're leaving like a polling stations like, are you voting for Boris Johnson and you know like people are like oh might not say I'm voting for Boris Johnson it might yeah. sound a bit weird and that's um that's just how it is. So um, I like surveys, but I only like them if you take the results for into thought. I had a psychology professor who was brilliant, uh, Dr. Holly Parker, and she told me, she said, she was like, the, the, the fallacy of psychology is that if you do results and the result, no, if you do a survey, if you do any work and the results don't tell you what you basically understand about human psychology, it's probably wrong. Yeah, and that's fair. So, like the, you know, you everyone's got a fairly good understanding of people. If the results come back and say, "Oh, it's really funny," like uh, you know, seventy percent of football fans don't actually like like penalties. You'd be like, "Is that is that true?" I, I don't know. It sound, do you mean penalties at the end of the game or during the game? Like yeah. what? Uh, and you know, like it's just the way. Yeah. It so, there's so I, many stats and stuff out there that just are really hard to actually like navigate. Yeah, understand what they yeah. really mean. Yeah. And the other thing that frustrates me is when people you get news articles and it says like, oh, you know, sixty percent of Britain says this, and then like you scroll down a bit and it's like, oh yeah, we surveyed one hundred and forty people. 
it's like, oh, there's the 67 million in Britain. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably regional, and it's probably, you know, all, all these other factors. Um, yeah, it's um, makes it quite messy, I can imagine. Yeah, really difficult to yeah. understand. So I get, yeah, that's that's interesting. How really the psychology and brain science is probably more of an interesting way to look at it, and you know, try try yeah. and prove it. Stats and graphs and stuff. But yeah. Yeah. And like, is it in neuroeconomics, we look at um, it tends to be like three or four different ways we get data, and like lots of that's around. It has loads of challenges. So um, like we use EEG. So like it's like the thing you see in Ghostbusters, like originally, but like the hat on. They ask people questions, and it reads the brain waves. Right. And the problem is, like that is really alien. It's like the weirdest thing. So if you ask someone to like read something, or like ask someone questions while they're wearing one, or monitor what they're doing during an activity it's normally in a lab and it's normally like totally weird and you can't really say it's a, a normal way of doing stuff so, the, sorry um, walk me through that a bit more is that like is, a polygraph <laughs> like the lie detectors kind of it's uh, EEG which is like electrosophiogram so it's like you have sensors placed on the scalp and yeah. it monitors like um, it monitors for changes in like electricity like beneath your scalp so which parts of your brain are being oh, activated yeah, yeah. And um, like it can tell you like so you, we know which parts of the brain, which regions are used for doing what. So like you know which is used for processing visual data, what kind of bits are being used for decision making. So you know if you ask people stuff like what's happening or like there's a um, there's a really great study which again Martin Lindstrom is um, like you if you give people Coke and Pepsi and you ask them what they think of it like you know lots of people actually say they prefer Pepsi. You tell people what they're going to drink beforehand is coke the part of the brain uh, which is used in uh, like visual memory and the part which is done with uh, associated with emotional uh, like gratuity that uh, they activate so your brain goes oh you know I, I like coke because I've got these strong emotional memories of like liking it even though you don't actually like it as much so um, right like that kind of thing like the, the other thing that uh, the other way people tend to do data, which is even worse, is they use fMRI. So, uh, I'm sure, you know, MRI is like the giant magnet you lay down, yeah. and you get inside it. Um, all of the fMRI studies look at your, so the monster of the brain, the brain's really good in this way. So, when your brain um, becomes more active, uh, it takes more oxygen into it. And when more oxygen goes into that part of the brain, it lights up as a, a brighter color. Right. the blood's going there through the capillaries really easy to, to monitor so what bits are very specifically being done problem is you're inside like basically uh, an airplane simulator that's really loud and scary and you 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 know like you, you've got like eight inches above your head so you you end up all yeah. the studies that involve fmri are simultaneously really good but lots of the data from it can't work in the real world yeah. Or the, the end of that is you can't create lots of real world situations using one. Because your brain is thinking, I'm in a big, I'm in tunnel, a big yeah. pod. <laughs> right. Yeah, so you, this you isn't all weird. You, you can show people commercials while they're in either of these situations, but it's different to someone seeing they're like an advert on their phone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and I think as it. soon as you're asked as well, you, you would probably develop a different. Way, to like natural, yeah. way of criticizing it because if, if I was to say to you oh watch this advert immediately you, you've got like it's your judgment mode. eyes on yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah, it, totally. you, yeah. If you see like, it on TV you might like, oh what's that and then kind of like yeah it's different differently, yeah um, yeah. yeah so environmental other, things huge. the other way we really get data is through um, uh, like visual search so there's there's glasses you can buy which are quite expensive and they've got eye tracking like a camera and eye tracking software yeah. in them. So I've seen the YouTubers stuff. use them yeah, yeah, yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> for videos. So this is really good. So um, like you send people into supermarkets and similar, and you can like basically have video footage of them walking around, and the sensor has a heat map of where they're looking and how yeah. long for and why. And um, they, there's there's loads of research. So I think this is Denmark rather than Sweden. It's always the Nordics who do the, the best stuff currently. But like you. Uh, it's Copenhagen Business School who did this, so they showed people adverts for paint and specific shades of paint, and then they sent people into like a supermarket or a DIY store, and they monitored how long their eyes 
like stayed on those brands or that paint or as they went around how long their eyes um, lingered on things that were similar colors yeah and, and that's that's really good because that's a real world application um now, some of the problems with this stuff is you have to show someone an advert before they go in and that's not how your memory works if someone shows you an advert and then like you know you, you don't see the product you don't go shopping for three days like yeah. like what happens it's like i've found and this is a very specific example like um our local h&m doesn't have a really good great men's range but if i go to their website their photography is really good and there's lots of stuff on that i quite fancy but if i go into the store it's not there so like i have a complete disassociation so if i see an advert for h&m for like something i visited on the site i get retargeted for it which i am at the moment yeah like i don't think of the shop i think of the website and I, I think this is this like over the past two years brands have had to move more online because obviously the pandemic and i think i think it's something that's not touched on yet but i think lots of us are now like the it's not like the default is let's go to a high street and get something the default is now i'm yeah. probably going to come back to the website later on to look at it yeah yeah and then I, kind of look at like on your timeline as well yeah i find myself shopping in london or something and then getting my phone out and thinking hey, i'll find this cheaper on my phone right now yeah <laughs> yeah totally it's almost like now like retail and like in person is almost just for inspiration like yeah like, oh that looks like a cool t-shirt let me go online and see if i can find yeah. that yeah yeah and like i think people i think people kind of talked about that as a thing that would happen but i think yeah. for lots of brands they can't justify sure. the price they've still got high street stores that just do high street but they're not really great places you go into. So like you go into Nike Town, and it's just like um, like a wall to wall, like Instagram layout. Like that place is so good, I love it. And like, well, I, I don't know. Like, for the I size of the shop, probably more of it is being utilised for for social media sharing. Yeah, sharing and the experience yeah. than the than just selling the clothes. Which could be the new way for like the wall now. Like they could be like in H and M's if they like start thinking of stuff like that could have like H&M Instagrammable section where you go try on your clothes, get like a little Instagram like spot where you can take yeah. it, post your pictures and share them. Yeah. Rather than it making like the whole in-person experience obsolete. And I don't know why people haven't lent in on that yet. There was a, um, a club in South London I used to go to and they had like a Twitter like gallery. So you went in and there was like a box with a camera on it and you'd, um, whack the button, pose, have a picture taken, and it would tweet it on their feed, and then you'd go and like, find it from there. Yeah. Like, I don't know why H&M and people aren't doing that. That's that, just like the amount of free content they'd get from it. And, yeah. and organic content as well. Because I've seen that's yeah. been like a big thing on uh, TikTok is user-generated content rather than the actual ads to like, try to disguise them natively in your feed, yeah. rather than like, being like, oh, that stands out, that's an advert skip. So if you yeah. stay and watch. Yes, is it? It's, or um, TikTok's a really great example of that. Like, if stuff isn't like, if it's like that three-second Budweiser cut down with a windmill, like when you're scrolling through your feed and something like that comes up, like I, zero point three seconds before I flick up. Yeah. I'm just yeah. like, I don't know what this is. I'm not. Not feeling not this. Yeah. Budweiser windmill don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, do you think that there might be with looking at like web three the metaverse do you think that sort of thing might have an answer to this problem of yeah retail and people not going to the shops as much yes and no i think in the short term it won't i think in the longer term it will i think the um we're at a phase right now i was talking to a mate only last night left a comment on this uh, linkedin post about this where i was saying like the, the problem is trying to get companies to figure out their like nft versions of real world items as they drop them is so beyond because like i know personally loads of retailers have trouble updating their like systems to get all of the new stuff onto it as it goes into the store yeah so uh, i think it's um it's until you get the basic stuff sorted out and like that's gonna be super hard when you're like uh, like Primark or like as far as fashion retailer, like something like Boohoo, the amount of different items they had a week. Mm. Like, 
you can't like, the way they do it is going to be difficult but I think in the long term it will it will work fine it's just getting there it's really early because as well there's like well like Night Town they've got like their whole metaverse thing and like Man City I think have recently done something yeah and there's a few brands yeah. like dipping their toes in but yeah I, yeah it's I interesting agree. to see like at the moment a lot of them feel just like stunts that hot topic yeah yeah. yeah it's like oh that's a hot topic strike by the iron's hot um, but then I yeah later on I feel like it would develop yeah. so yeah. I think there was a there was a time as well where if anyone did NFT it was so new and different so it was like I think about Christmas time when we saw some people doing stuff it was like you can tell they'd turned they'd gone to like their CMO and gone right if we spend X amount of money on a marketing campaign, we'll get these results, blah, 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 it might drive this many sales. If we do an NFT thing, we know it's going to get this many media mentions. And when we sell them, we're going to make like 10 million from selling them. Yeah. You know, everyone went like, oh, let's, let's go that way. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't really have a long-term strategy. So they just did like yeah. a range of NFTs. And now like seven months later, you're like, are they going to do anything else? So, yeah. No, it's done. Well, like, what do you even yeah. do with the NFTs as well? If there's no like, because a lot of them now have a uh, like projects behind them, don't they? So like, yeah. you get the NFT and then you get something out of it rather than just the collectible aspect. I think that's great. I think that's. Um, I've been a big fan from like I've done loads of articles about NFT and Web3, and I'm just waiting for someone like ASOS or someone to turn around and go like or like. Amazon Prime and go right, right. You know, you've got your subscription. You're going to get unlimited free. Um, like household delivery for 10 quid but we're only going to do 10,000 of those at the time and when you get them you're going to get NFT yeah. and that'll be like you know you're in the club for like January or like you know spring summer like 2022 kind of thing, yeah. and with that, that later on will give you it'll, it can be sponsored by uh, Comme de Garçon or something and you get 5% discount on their stuff you buy via ASOS for the rest of forever for owning it so like it's then got like a a value that stays around forever yeah but I'm, interesting yeah it's like i think people that there's a have you seen a v friends he's uh gary v's got his uh ones yeah and when you get them i think you get put like on a discord with him in it and everything and like you can kind of like, discuss everything because that's like the incentive for that one yeah he's completely owned nfts yeah. he's like he's wrote the playbook for it like there's there's no escaping like the, the v. he saw it as an opportunity and he didn't wait for anyone else to pick up he just picked it up and ran and yeah. like he, like as a result he can literally write the book on it yeah he's like the godfather of NFTs at the moment yeah yeah and yeah, but it's interesting to see what's next because it's sort of it had this big hit and now it's like plateauing it's in it? danger of of plateauing but you know yeah. what whether they can keep it going or whether it just needs a little crash and then eventually come back when people are ready or something I don't know yeah I think the, the problem is it's often it's lacking a bit of structure behind it so yeah. like if you um, I've got uh, NBA Topshop like cards from I think April last year and like when I first got into them it was the excitement of spending an hour or so in a queue and then, you know, they, they started introducing a Twitch feed into the queuing page. So you'd have basketball legends and people talking about, like, you know, collectibles and similar, and it was fun. That's cool. What, do you support the basketball team? Uh, oh, yeah, I support the Celtics. Yeah. Do the Celtics? I don't know much about basketball. <laughs> uh, we, we lost in the finals, like, last year. So oh. second place is always slight. It's like a bit better. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bittersweet though. Still got to the finals. Yeah, this is it. So like the loads of the team are really young. It's um it, it the comparative is like when Arsenal went through that phase of being really good with loads of young players but it didn't quite get any silverware. Yeah. Hopefully it turns into silverware and not into finishing like seventh and Yeah. It all going wrong. But we'll see. But yeah, that also like, leads into like really good for, like the fan bases as well. Like you were saying, with, like the Celtic ones having all them young players in the uh, in the chat, and then like I can imagine, yeah, uh, as a young like kid as well, especially being like, oh, there's like, I don't actually know Facebook Celtics, but like yeah. for basketball sake, like it's like, oh, LeBron James is in the chat. Oh, this is incredible. Like this is mad. Like as a kid, yeah. that would, like well, even that that would like blow your socks off. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's yeah. um, 
That's exactly it. It's just one of those great things where, um, like, because so much is unwritten of NFT, like you can you can really like push things in directions like you, no one would have thought, and you can basically set your aspirations higher than year four elsewhere as well. Like just to do big, mad, fun things, and that that goes back to like supporting Charlotte Church. It's the same kind of like lawlessness to it. If you just do stuff about um, without. Well, not so much about worrying about things going wrong, because if stuff goes wrong, it goes wrong. But like, just like, um, just approach it as a test and learn thing. Just think like, you know, if it doesn't work, like, what lessons can we take from it? Yeah, and then yeah, the next time. That kind of brings yeah. me to my next question, which is, uh, what sort of advice would you give uh, young people like us in this changing world of NFTs and whatever? Uh, it- us starting out, you know. The advice I'd give you is um, like really understand what you love and who you are and what. So like, there's there's a bit of a push for people to be generalists and people to understand everything. I saw a job listing someone shared it the other day and it said like looking for you know young people like you know exact level for whatever and it's like we're we're really looking for social media. But if you have an understanding of out of print home television like blah blah blah, that'd be great and it's like i don't expect anyone to have hands-on knowledge of out of home and print and digital and television when they're in their early 20s like what it should have said is are you excited by the idea of working in television and print and out of home and stuff like yeah this, this is your opportunity when you're going to apply for this job to tell me what excites you about it and what you do um I did uh, a piece for Madfest recently. We worked with uh, a bunch of young kids, and like the um, enthusiasm they had for marketing, it was really refreshing. And um, like loads of their ideas were great as well. Uh, there's a the advice I'd give, like the most earnestful piece was um, Tyler the Creator said that he was told by Dre, like um, he said, said like when you get into this industry, people are going to start trying to sand down your corners and telling you like what you can't do, you shouldn't do. Yeah. And he was like, you should just always like, like he was like, you're, you're basically a giant kid. He was like, don't, he was like, don't get mature, just be immature. And that's, that's something I'd recommend. It's like find out what your strength is. It might be that you're immature. It might be that you like, you just go super hard on loving cars. Yeah. And it's like, like, like if you know what your niche is and you can find a way of bringing that to someone and going like, right. So the other thing as well, in my career, like if I look at my CV, I've chopped and changed like the industries I've worked in. Yeah. And like when I've spoken to people, like they will often be like, oh, you know, you, you can't come work in this industry because you don't have a background in it. And it's like, my answer to that has been like, I didn't have background in like nuclear energy generation. I didn't have a background uh, in like alcohol, I went to alcohol. Yeah. Like the thing they'll have in like connection is the heavily regulated industries. And I think heavily regulated industries are fun because you're not allowed to do stuff. And I like breaking rules. Yeah. So I like pushing things, and that's that's where I find joy. I think. Um, but like my ability to turn around and go, you say you shouldn't hire me because I've not come background in this. All the people you've hired from a background in this industry have spent their lifetime working in it. They're going to give you the same work. And like, I'm going to give you something different. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think that's like the thing that excites me about working with like younger people is they've got fresh perspectives. And it's not like they, um, one of the issues I have is when you, you benchmark stuff, like lots of people go like, all right, here's, here's what we should be aiming for. And that's basically the standard. That's the industry standard. Aiming for average is boring. No one wants boring at like average yeah. adverts. No one wants to see average content. I, I want to see like, like oh, I don't know. So like I I, I love uh, Tony Bourdain. I love like fuck that's delicious and stuff like that. And like no one in their right mind would have commissioned any of it today because it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, it, it's like we're we're gonna get uh, some American rappers and we're gonna fly them out to Paris to review natural wines. It's just like are we selling natural wine? Are we selling? Are yeah. We selling rap music weird what, what, works what, what, kind of yeah. thing <laughs> like, 
with works it gets you support slots with charlotte church it gets you um uh like you know reviewing natural wine in france like i just um that, that's my advice don't don't shy away from being yourself find out what you love and like what makes you special and really shout it yeah that's good. like i will hire someone because they've got a unique perspective before i'd hire someone because they're slightly better than the average and that, that that's something else that's really important so something gets missed about diversity is just by having a diversity of voices in the room you get better ideas like yeah, everyone's from a similar background everyone's a similar age everyone's got similar opinions they all say the same stuff so i i, I don't want that if if you're in the room with me like coming up with ideas throw madness yeah and you can't need like devil's advocates as well it's like once you've got that idea it's like try like hone it kind of thing yeah, yeah. Oh, that's kind of what we do it like, yeah say something and then we're like all right someone's got to play the devil devil's advocate and then you yeah. can kind of work yeah often the you're the one with lots of loads of optimistic ideas and i'm the one that's going mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's kind of way partnership works you springboard yeah. ideas upon another and as a result you can't end up with something bigger and better and if you worked on your own yeah and that's the kind of thing that's good yeah you said uh you said you're uh you like breaking the rules uh i'd love to hear an example of uh one of your favorite rules that you've broken yeah <laughs> oh um well it's close to the cat as well <laughs> 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 um uh i used to do something called trojan horsing which um i i got told off by someone very senior for doing so at a company i worked at it was a very heavily regulated industry um you used to have to get approval of all the content by um like senior like legal people and similar and every time i'd take stuff to them they'd go you can't do any of this because this is like you know this is it's not the kind of thing we should be doing yeah so what i deliberately do is i then create two versions of the document and the first one would be pushing everything i wanted to do to like the far extreme it, it, I, and i knew it would never get approved so we'd take it to them and like yeah, there's faces that just be like oh no you never do any of this and i was like cool i anticipated you'd say that so i've created the second version which is the dumbed down like you know softer version of it and they'd look at it and go like i guess out of the two we'd, we'd go for the, the first ones that are okay so like i ended up getting stuff approved that if i hadn't had the first lot they yeah. um they reject and then a um, smart psychological <laughs> trick like a bait <laughs> <laughs> so it, it came up in a team meeting that i'd been doing it and it'd been nicknamed trojan horsing and someone very senior at the business told me i was no longer allowed to do it because the repercussions <laughs> of uh if the legal team had found out i've been doing it were absolutely massive they're like you well, can't they're like you can't trick people into approving stuff and i was like that's not trigger, that's it? not your fault it's they should be wise enough to to see yeah. what you're doing there um, but the, if, if the content worked it performed well yeah, so, yeah, yeah exactly we, I, I, as, throughout my time there there was not a single legal complaint about anything we posted so um that's good the, it's, it's one of those things so like their job is to make sure they don't get sued if they get sued then they're in trouble so like if nothing you like if you work in marketing and you're in a heavily regulated industry if nothing you create gets published then it's no sweat off your legal team's back so it doesn't change their life it changes your life because you're probably not going to be employed so um your job is to get stuff published um uh, and it's one of those interesting relationships where you, you both respect each other but like you're um you're trying to find a way of pushing legal to let you do more stuff and they're trying to find a way to minimize their own risk and the company's risk yeah because they, they, they the last thing they want is like you know the chief marketing officer or someone sending them an email going like i understand you approve this why yeah and because of the big little work to do after that yeah yeah this is it but um yeah it, uh, that's that's probably a, a, the best example i can give about mentioning any names <laughs> That's good. No, that was that was cool. Yeah, yeah I like. I I might even use that tactic myself. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah. Oh, we also saw that apparently you uh, 
you used to be a bit of a, almost like a ghostwriter. Oh, which fun? Uh, you used to be like a bit like a ghostwriter for like other musicians as well. Yeah, I did. I I, I wrote for um, like a bunch of other people. The most weird one was I wrote for um, I worked for a guy called Ainsley Henderson for like a tiny period of time. I took like one session with them in a barn somewhere. Uh, I think it was two. So it was that one. There was another one. He didn't make it to the second one because he was in Paris with a girl he'd met. It is a very um, naughty's musician thing. So Ainsley was on Fame Academy, the BBC show. And I saw like a year or two ago, he won a BAFTA for best short animation. And I was like, that's that's so weird. And I, I love that. It's like, you know, creative cool. people just change how they work. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I'm you're very... you're a prime example of that. Um, yeah. Like dipping your toes in music and uh, what do you call it, psychology and neuroeconomic strategy. It's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I just I just do what I find interesting. Yeah, it's it's that's supposed to be a a trait of of creative people, isn't it, to uh, be experimental. And yeah, um, I've certainly been like that all my life. Uh, mm -hmm just tried everything always wanted uh, to try something yeah. so the, the stuff you get into like there will be things that are like maybe a bit niche and a bit nerdy or a bit weird and like that's completely fine so like like because it gives you so like there's there's two parts to the work we do the first one's all about productivity so if you don't get work done if you don't have results then you're you know you're not gonna like you work for portfolio essentially yeah. But the other part to that is just being curious and being into stuff and like you only get out what you put in. And like if I can give you guys examples of things that I've so like one of the clients I'm working with at the moment is a Japanese brand and I've like I help consult with them on a TV commercial and like I'm looking at their, their socials. And like if you spend time so like Twitter is massive in Japan, it's like the number one social platform out there. Yeah. If you spend time looking at what people like Starbucks are doing in Japan, like their content is so good, and like I, I reckon ninety nine percent people that work in marketing in the UK would never look at it. No. But like, as a result, I come back to like people I work with, and I'm like, look what they're doing. This is beautiful. Like their photography is so good. They yeah. um, they do limited edition um, like cups, and like just look at them way I'm talking about this, it's exciting. Yeah. yeah. And like it's beautifully sharp there. Um, but they managed to sell like limited edition cups for like uh, like the secure season for like the equivalent of like fifty pounds in the store. Oh. And like people buy them. They buy them in limited editions. They're doing a, a big campaign right now. So it's it's about sustainability, but it's like it's them actually bring it to life. So it's like um you know, they're like bring a cup into the store. Just bring your cup in. It doesn't matter if it's a Starbucks one or whatever stop using our cups and it's that kind of um cognitive divergence we've got a company telling you to like not take their product while at the yeah. same time bring a 50 pound cup and you're like Ooh, what? It's yeah 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 did you use... yeah it's like having an energy company that will tell you like right you know uh, we'll tell you when we're no longer cheap so we'll help you move to someone else or something like that you'd be like oh that's Really helpful. Yeah, and it yeah. makes someone feel so genuine if they're able to put themselves down. Yeah, if they're like, yeah. hey, we know yeah. this is bad. We're not going to try yeah. sugarcoat and wrap it up in a bow. Yeah, we're just trying to try and fix it. And it, it must yeah. take balls from the brand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it takes a lot of bravery. And that, that's that. I just realised that's a good approach. You go like, right, you know, we're we're not the cheapest, but we we've probably got the best customer service because we're being honest about it. Yeah, yeah. And then people like buy, like buy into that because it's, it's genuine and they can relate to it. Yeah. yeah. Rather than trying to be all polished. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, another question. Oh! <laughs> he just spilled water all over himself. <laughs> um, another question I've got is well, this podcast is about ideas. It's sort of the. It's called Ideas FM. Um, how do you. I mean, like, you have all these people presenting you ideas or you're coming up with ideas. When do you know, obviously, you don't know whether it's a good idea or not until you've gone to a certain point. So how do you sort of work out something is a good idea or not? 
um, I think there's so there's two ways of answering this. The first one is making sure it meets the brief. So it has to like it has to answer does it solve a consumer problem, does it solve a brand problem? Like that's what it'll always come back to. People talk about insights and insights are really important and so on and so forth, but like they don't tell you if the idea is good. And the reality is often people come up with the, the idea, the execution, before they come up with the the briefing documents. So people are going like, oh you know, this brand wants to do this. People are like, oh, oh, they should do that. And then you end up reworking the, the brief to match the idea. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the time I know like an idea is good is if it's simple enough that I can tell someone about it and like they, they get it and they light up because you you only have seconds to make impact. Yeah. I took a class on uh, like graphic novels and comics and we studied like uh, Mouse by, I can't remember the chap's name, but that was the book about World War Two like the, the Holocaust, but it's like basically mice and cats. And it's only then I understood that like they, that the challenge of comics, if you've got like three panels, is there's so much to put in there and you've got to choose what you put in. So it's, it's really subtractive. You basically start with like a massive book and then you whittle it down to like three squares. And that's what we do in social media and marketing as well. We start off with like clients give us all these documents and you basically got to come up with a couple of images yeah. and a couple of words to do it all. And I think simplicity is the, the best thing about it. Often people can have a good idea, but it's too wordy. And then it's just a case of sitting down and cutting bits away from it. And that's often one of the hardest parts of the job because you, if you spend a month working on something, you want to come back and present a 280-page deck and go like, here's all the work we've done. We spoke to all these people. We came up with like all these different creative ideas. But like the reality is, if you can turn that work into like, like just a scam or something you can show off in a couple of seconds, and you see people's faces light up to really get it, like that's like that's a great idea. Yeah. And like you, you don't in that case you don't need to see the fully fleshed thing. You can just someone can just tell you what it is and you'd be like, ah. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's so true. Um yeah. well, you know, a few seconds when you walk past the didn't you? Yeah. You know, very long to like take it all in. And and it makes me think now there's been a few ideas that I had back like in uni and stuff like that. And I remember like telling them to my parents or whatever and then I'd have to explain it and I'd be like, No, it's it's like this <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and then I'd find yeah. as well there are there are things that just carry over. You'll be like, that didn't work, but I love that bit, and I want yeah. to do that later. Yeah. I still really want to do a, um, I have a piece of creative in my mind where we give away a tank. I want to run a competition called Who Wants to Win a Tank, which is like, who wants to be a millionaire or something, but like you win a tank. Oh, well, that would be good like, for that. Are we a tank skim? So that could be a, a potential win, but like, I, I, there's no way it's going to be applicable to anything in my life unless Mash Gang get to a point where I can give away a tank. <laughs> like, like a beer that tank. would be cool, though. Yeah. I don't know. I might just call it who wants to win a tank, but um, I don't know. Is that a, a retweet to enter competition that like gets the most entries ever? Maybe. But uh, it's one of those things. You, you'll, you'll have ideas that stick around. Yeah. yeah. But like, out of context, everything changes. There's... Um, I don't know. I think it, it's interesting to like you, you take what you can from like other great people, but like you have to understand as well like what you take from yourself. So there's a game, chap called James Victoria who's a uh, an American creator. I absolutely love him. He mentored me for a little bit. He's got um, work in the Museum of Modern Art, the American History Museum, one or the other. But he his story is when he went to ad school or design school he went off and he got there and they were like what do you want to do and he was like I want to be a poster artist they were like there's no such thing as a poster artist you're an idiot <laughs> and he was like I just want to do posters and they were like and uh, they ended up kicking him out of I think it was um, it was a school in New York they kicked him out after a year and he didn't know what to do with his life so he just went and started doing posters and next thing you know he's hired by um, ad agencies he had like he's working for Pepsi and Coke and like like Levi and yeah. all these massive companies but it was just that thing that like you 
everyone who's the expert told him like his job didn't exist and the same way now like if you go back a year and a half or two years and people are digital only artists they were like i'm going to make digital versions of trainers and people would be like why why are you making concepts of nikes no no one can buy these nike are going to buy yeah. it and then now it's like oh yeah i make them and i, I sell them for like 400 pound a pop and like i've got a community of tens of thousands of nft fans yeah it's like you, you don't know how things are going to go so um uh take what you can from people who are wise and then make up the rest yourself yeah keep doing what you love kind of thing yeah, yeah. yeah. i'll just get started as well just starting like just don't if you need permission from uh, a brand with heavily regulated industry wait for permission if you're young and you're doing stuff on your own back just start yeah like um you might it might be a bit downheartening to just keep producing content that no one notices, no one cares about. But like, it's it's part of the grind. You, you get you, you learn your craft and you um, you turn things around yeah. like better and quicker, and then eventually something will just catch. I think also like I guess that that makes like when it finally does get recognised so much better because you're like ah, oh, been grafted and grafted and yeah. grafted, and uh, now yeah. it's coming into fruition. Yeah, it's like all the. Um, when people talk about bands like having, you know, that, that great festival set they did, it's like what you don't know is they might have been performing to like rooms of like 20 people, yeah, like yeah. The, the two years before that, until they got put on a stage at, at Glastonbury and 2,000 people turned up to watch them because there was nothing else on that point in the afternoon. They happened to play a blinder and it changes their life. And that's that's basically how content works as well. Yeah. We're, we're kind of both lucky and unlucky because stuff lives and feeds for such a short period of time so like if you do stuff that doesn't work no one notices no one cares if you do stuff that does work that's great but most of the time it'll be forgotten not too distant future we've i just did uh something of two of the like strategists behind the um uh the uh, what's it called mm-hmm. oreo dunk in the dark tweet all right it's, famous one from when the power went off of the, the Super Bowl. Uh, amount of people to talk about that is fantastic. And like that's that's an example of a piece of content that'll just carry on for like forever. Because it was the first truly great example of reactive content, I think. Yeah. And then like there are times like when uh, Eden Hazard kicked that ball boy. Yeah. Like um Yeah. Um, yeah, there's something they just a picture of like a, an orange beard and a football. And like that was enough to like get them tens of thousands of retweets, whatever. And it's it's random like, things, and it's like really hard to predict what what's going on. Yeah, the street. Uh, yeah. That, that Cadbury's Gorilla Chocolate advert. I feel like everyone remembers that, and just yeah, remember, like random stuff. But you know, you would never have known when you watched it that that was going to be a, a legacy. Advert. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. And we um, when I was at Norton, we had two posts that went really well and they're completely unexpected so we did one for transfer deadline day and it was the year that man united finished the window of like one central defender and we just did a tweet of like a tack board with like just a single orange shirt like yellow shirt norton logo on it and it was like at man united don't worry sometimes you only need one defender um it went like i had no money spent in it i did it in paint in about like two minutes um, it got picked up by Twitter as one of their best tweets of the transfer window. Right. Loads of press about it. All the other people were like Adidas and they'd spent like loads of cash on it and we spent nothing. And the other one that was good is we did um, Night of the American Music Awards and we be new Justin Bieber song. And we like, with security companies, you often get those alerts on social saying like, you know, warning, phishing emails or whatever. We just did one that said like, warning, um, like, you know, if your friends send you a link to the new Justin Bieber single, don't click it. It's a link to the new Justin Bieber single. And, um, like, it, it, I don't want to say viral, but it, it went viral. They yeah. were, like, American chat show hosts retweeting it, going, like, this is genius. Yeah. And, and again, it, it took, like, nothing. It was just people having a chat. Someone said something that was funny. And yeah. we went, like, can we can we actually tweet that? Yeah. Like, yes, we did. No, that's great. Yeah. Well, it's been amazing to have you on. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, absolute well, thank pleasure. Thank you for even, uh, commenting. To be fair. Uh, yeah. On the uh, on the LinkedIn website to start. Oh, 
Always happy to help. Yeah. Um, I love the stuff you're doing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're as as I say, we're very like early on in our podcast podcast stages, so um, all the support is we're very grateful for. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I- we'll let you know when it releases. Uh, might be. Oh, thank you very much. A little while. Yeah. I might know a couple of other people who um, could be interested as well. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. Yeah. There's a chap I know called uh, Adam Clark. He's uh, he's been his head of marketing at I can't remember called uh, Zest, and he um, he's a dude who started out in uh, like Blackpool, uh, a council estate, and he went to Huddersfield Uni and studied journalism, and then he ended up in social media and then like marketing and he's done really good stuff and he's like he's like the nicest most down-to-earth humble guy ever if you ever like if you go out for him go out for him go out with him and he'll just like you know uh chat and drink for like the entire evening he's just like <laughs> the loveliest guy love that yeah that's uh, yeah no i'd love to meet him yeah 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 i'll give him a tag and send you his oh, details thank you. sweet well thank you very much yeah Awesome, it's been a pleasure. Uh, have fun. I'll catch you guys soon. Catch yeah. you later. Have fun. Bye. Bye. Bye.